Chapter Three of the Escaping Club by A. J. Evans. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Weiss. Chapter Three, The First Evasion. A brief study of the plan of the camp and its defenses will make our plan of escape quite clear. The sentries are marked by X, the arc lights by period, and the dogs in kennels by O. All round the camp was iron wire torpedo netting with two-inch mesh about twelve feet high on iron poles. The gardens offered a very suitable hiding place close to the wire netting. At G was the German guardhouse, and at the letter K was the kitchen, and Germans used to pass frequently between the guardhouse and the kitchen along a footpath close to the wire. At 6.45 an extra sentry was placed outside the wire at S, and it was not sufficiently dark to make the attempt till 6.30, so that we had a quarter of an hour to cut the wire and to find an opportunity to cross the path and reach the darkness behind the glare of the arc lights. By far the greatest danger came not from the sentries, but from stray Germans who used the footpath at frequent but irregular intervals. We agreed to give the other two five minutes' start so as not to interfere with their escape if we were caught getting out, and also to avoid being caught red-handed ourselves if they were seen and chased in the immediate vicinity of the camp. Longer we could not allow them, and even five minutes' delay would give us very little time before the extra sentry was posted at S. On Monday night all went excellently up to a point. The sentries marched with commendable regularity up and down their beats. At six-thirty the four of us were changed and ready. There were so many different uniforms in the camp and so many officers habitually wore garments of a nondescript character, that in the dusk we were able to mingle with the other prisoners without drawing attention to ourselves. A minute later Ding entered the peas and began to cut the wire. He had scarcely started when a German walking on the footpath passed a few inches from his nose. Ding felt sure he had been seen and retreated hurriedly. We waited anxiously for a minute or two, prepared to rush to our rooms and change and hide our kit if there were any signs of alarm. Then Nickel went round to investigate, and taking the pincers entered once more into the garden and prepared to cut the wire. The German had certainly not seen Ding in the garden, but how he had escaped being seen coming out, considering the commotion he made, passes my comprehension. Kick and I had a rapid consultation and decided that it was too late to escape that night, so we sent a friend round to tell Nickel not to cut the wire, and we all retreated and changed, feeling rather crestfallen. At six-forty-five Ding suddenly remembered that he had left his grey coat in the peas close up by the wire. This was most gallantly rescued by Nickel under the nose of the sentry. The attempt had been a failure, but not a disaster. Kick and I decided to wait another week for we wished to make certain that the Germans were not keeping an eye on the place in order to catch us red-handed, and Monday was the most suitable day. Ding dropped out, and Nickel, who did not speak German and consequently could not come with us, said he would not get another partner, firstly because Kick and I would have a better chance without a second party following us, and secondly because it was getting rather late in the year for walking. Nickel offered to cut the wire for us, and this offer we were only too pleased to accept for we knew he was absolutely reliable, and it would save us from dirtying our clothes. During the week 
Kick and I changed our plans and determined to go straight by the through train which left Goslar at 2.13 a.m. to Dusseldorf, and then try to find a Dutch barge on the Rhine who could be bribed to take us as far as the frontier, and could probably give us information as to the best method of crossing if he could not take us through himself. This plan was obviously better than the long and complicated train journey to Switzerland. The only result of last Monday's failure was to convince us that, unless real bad luck or unforeseen circumstances intervened, we were certain to get clear away. We revised and perfected details and equipment, raised some more money for the purpose of giving a larger preliminary bribe to the barge, got some tracings of the map for the night march to Goslar, and began to feel pretty confident. I don't think there is anything that I have ever done quite so exciting as escaping from prison. It may not be the same for other men who have tried both fighting in the air and escaping, but I know that for me the nervous tension before the latter is much greater than anything I have experienced at the front. Once in the middle one has not time to be nervous in either case. It is the necessity of walking and talking and acting as if nothing were about to happen right up to the moment of going which is such a strain. I think there were only a half-dozen people in the camp who knew that Kick and I were going, though many knew that Ding and Nickel had tried a week before. It was very necessary to keep the knowledge not only from the Germans but also from the foreign members of the camp as one can never be quite certain that there is not a spy or someone in German pay among them. For obvious reasons it would be very much more difficult to introduce a spy amongst the English. But it is a good rule that the fewer who know, the better. On Monday at six o'clock Kick and I had a good feed with Nickel on sardines and jam, and then changed into our civilian clothes. At six-thirty Nickel was time to go in and cut the wire. We walked round the hotel, and I deposited the bag in a dark spot by M. We then took a turn or two up and down. We had only to wait about five minutes when Nichols appeared and said, The wire is cut, but I am not sure if the hole is large enough to get through. Take the cutters, a pair of sharp nail pincers which had been stolen off the German electrician, as you may have to enlarge it. The sentry at sea, a fat old Landsturmer, chose to stand still instead of going up and down his beat, but he only glanced very occasionally towards M., and we thought the moment favorable. This time we made no mistake about it. Kick and I walked round to M., stood a moment on the path, and had a look round. C. had his back turned. B. was at the far end of his beat. I took the bag and put it among the peas. Then in went Kick and I after him. He was through the hole in no time. I passed the bag through to him and came through myself, and we were across the lighted-up strip and into the darkness behind the arc-lights inside six seconds. We went at full speed for a hundred yards or so. Then, as there was no alarm, we stopped and looked back. Everything was quite quiet, and we could see the sentries walking up and down on their beats under the electric lights, so we shook hands on the success of the first phase. Meanwhile, Nickel, having seen us off and done his best to close the hole, strolled back round the building and there met Kick's friend and confidant, a Belgian captain, an excellent fellow, but rather an excitable conspirator. C'est bien l'air, said the captain. Il va partir tout de suite, oui sera tout terre. Ils sont déjà partis, said Nicol. With a cry of joy the captain fell on his neck and kissed him. End of chapter 3 
Recording by Tom Weiss, Tom's Audiobooks.com.